This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Amen, amen. Good morning, everybody. Wow, what a wonderful time of worship. And I get to talk to you this morning about one of my very favorite subjects. It's something that I think about day after day after day, and I hope you do too. It has to do with pure motivations. And uh, so we got some really challenging things to look at. I want to say a special welcome to those of you that this is your first time here. Let me give you a couple things that will help give you a little bit of the lay of the land. In the program that you got on the way in, I want you to pull out this. We'll all pull it out. It's a connect card. It's a really great tool for you. This card gives you the opportunity to connect with our staff gives you the opportunity to request information about anything that you, any question you might have about our church, gives you the opportunity to submit a prayer request if you'd like for us to pray with you about something or to pray during the week for you or a friend of yours about something, gives you the opportunity to respond to what I'm going to teach to you today. That's why it's called a connect card. And so you'll find one in your program every week. If you pull it out, put your name on the front of it, and if this is your first time here, please trust us with your email address. That way we can com- complete the communication loop with you. And then the second thing you're going to want to get out is you're going to want to get out this half sheet of teaching notes that has a chart on the front of it. We're going to fill out that chart this morning and learn some things uh, as we walk through the day. We are in the, the sort of the beginning of a series of of teachings about this is our time. It's our opportunity as a community of believers to step into this time in history and occupy the place that God originally designed for us. That means that each one of us individually has to step into our place in history. And believe it or not, everybody has a place in history. If you and I would step into the life that God has for us, we would step into our place in history and we would make a difference in the lives of the people that we were supposed to make a difference in. We would live our lives with the purpose that God originally intended for us. And at the end of our life, we would be able to look back on it and realize, oh my goodness, I lived the life that God always had for me. I just have to tell you, as your pastor, that's my dream for you. That not one of you would go through this life and miss the life you were supposed to have because you chose some other lesser life to live. Jesus had a dream for his church. He spells it out here in Matthew chapter 16. Take a look. He says, on this rock, this teaching that Jesus is God's son and the savior of the world, On that rock, on that foundation, Jesus said, I will build my church, and here's the dream, and all the powers of hell will not prevail against it. This morning we're going to ask a couple of questions, and the first question is this, what is it that would drive a prevailing church? What's the motor, the motivation that would drive a prevailing church? 
What is it that would so empower the church that Jesus would build that no matter what hell would throw against it, it would never slow down, it would never stop, it would never get distracted, but it would go right through all of the stuff that even hell itself throws against the church. Now before I tell you what that is, I just have to tell you this. I would want that for every single person in this room. That no matter what you come up against in life, even if hell itself was emptying its machine guns on you, no matter what you come up against in this life, I would pray that you would have something on the inside of you that's so God-breathed and so God-empowered that you would not slow down and you would not quit, but you would prevail. Does that sound good? That sounds great. That's the life that God has for you. And we're going to answer that question. And we're going to answer that question by looking at the three principal people drivers in history. There are three internal forces across the face of history that have moved people and determined the course of their life. And every great leader has looked at these and has chosen one of these three as the principal people driver to pull people around them and move them. Here they are. Here's the chart. The first is fear. The second is power. And the third is love. And we're going to take a look at how those work in our lives. And, and, and I mean, there's months of teaching here, and I'm going to give it to you in about four minutes, okay? So get ready to write. Here we go. Every one of these has a couple of usual expressions. These are the ways that they manifest themselves in our lives. And let's take fear. The first way it usually expresses or manifests itself in our life is through a sense of obligation. In other words, these are things that I should do. I feel obligated to do because because I'm alive, because somebody gave me life. These are obligations I have, but obligation usually comes with its cousin, and that's guilt. Because when I feel obligated to do something, do I always do it? What do you think? No, and when I don't do what I feel obligated to do, what do I feel? Guilt. Anybody here ever felt guilt? Anybody here ever been to a church where they made you feel guilty? All the time. Yes, many of us grew up in those kinds of churches. And the pastor had the long bony finger and he yelled and screamed at everybody. And, and on the way out the door, honest to God's story, early on in my ministry, I preached a message and a dear little old lady met me on the way out the door. And she said, I don't know if it's okay to say this, but I really enjoyed your message today. Is that okay? And I looked at her and I said, why wouldn't that be okay? And she says, well, I don't feel guilty. Let, let me know who used to preach there, right? And what was going on there? Yeah. So that's the way it usually manifests itself. Now it has an internal driver. It's got an internal sort of question that produces this fear. And that is... Whatever, whatever threatens me. Fear always comes from some form of threat. If you grew up in a fear-based church, the threat was always hell. Right? If you don't do this, you're going to burn. Yeah. It's what threatened you. And then every one of these has an unexpected sort of result or outcome or consequence in our life. 
And if you go to a church that's primarily motivated by fear and the pastor is continually making you feel afraid and talking about obligations and things that you must do because of who God is and because of who you are and because of what Jesus did and what he's, what's going to happen to you if you don't do those things, the unintended consequence in your life is going to be insecurity. Because you know, when you have obligations, it's never enough. Think about this. One of your bigger obligations in life is to pay taxes, correct? Yeah. Isn't that fun? No, we hate to pay taxes. But we feel obligated to pay taxes. But I want to tell you that paying taxes is considerably better than going to a church that's motivated by fear. You never thought that taxes could be better than church, right? Let me tell you why. Because when you do your taxes, you plug the figures into the formula, and the formula tells how much you owe. You pay what you owe, and you no longer feel guilty because you paid what you owe. When you go to a church that's motivated by fear, it's never enough. So you always feel guilty. At least with taxes, once you pay them, you're done. That's the deal. The second thing, great people mover, is power. Okay? And power usually manifests itself. This is how we keep score when it comes to power. Money and fame. That's how we keep score. And so the deal is, if power motivates me and this desire to be in control and this desire to have power over other people, well then I, the way I keep score with that is if I have more money than the people around me, I feel in control. If I have less money than the people around me, I feel like they control me. If I have more fame than the people around me and I'm more well-known and I'm more famous, even if it's in my own little mud puddle, okay? Even if it's in my own little club or whatever it is I belong to, if I feel more famous and more well-known and, and more respected and everybody bows and scrapes to me, then I feel like I'm in control. But if I'm just one of the people who sits in the club or sits on the chair or whatever it is, I don't feel like I'm in control. I don't feel like I have that power. And the deal is the internal motivator that we keep asking ourselves when, when power is our motivator, it's what strokes me? What strokes my ego? What makes me feel good about myself? What makes me feel better about myself than the guy next to me feels about himself? It's what strokes me. And the unexpected consequence is this. It creates rivalry in me. And I want to tell you something about rivalry. In every form of competition in the world, competitions produce two things, winners and losers. And the interesting thing about competition is there are always far more losers than winners. How many people win the Super Bowl every year? How many? Only one team. How many teams don't win the Super Bowl? Yeah, 31, right? So you got 31 losers and one winner. That's a pretty good ratio in life. That's just how it works. 
That's why rivalry is so deadly. And I watch families, and even inside of families, if you're motivated by power, there's sort of a, there's sort of a power struggle inside the family to see who's going to be the top dog and the one that has the most money or the one who's the most famous in the family or the one who has the most degrees or however you want to, however you want to measure that. The third great people mover is love. And love typically manifests itself in two ways. By what we give or we are willing to sacrifice. That song that we just sang about Christ and His sacrifice for us. And we said in response to Him, here's my life. It's no sacrifice. Because when you love someone, sacrifice is never tough. It's how love works. It's how love naturally manifests itself. And the second thing is, well, we do. We just had a whole series, and we read a book called Love, what's the other word? Does. That's the deal. And when we really love, it motivates us to do things and to sacrifice. Because the internal motivator or driver behind love is what benefits others. Yeah, that's what drives love. What benefits other people. And then last of all, the unintended consequence, and this is where it gets really good, is we end up satisfied. Isn't that crazy? Now let me give you a couple of other ways to look at this. You see, the first two of these are sort of cycles downward because they have a fatal flaw. And the fatal flaw is they are by nature selfish. Okay? It's what threatens me or what strokes me. And therefore, I'm driven by something that is by its very nature focused on me. And so, the more that I invest in them... For instance, the more I invest in fear, the more insecure I become. And the more I give place to fears in my life, the more insecure I become. And the more I give place to power in my life, the more I end up in rivalry rivalry with people around me, and I end up alienating the people I love the most because I have to win. But the more I invest in love... And the more I give myself away, and the more I sacrifice, and the more I help others, an amazing thing takes place. I end up to be the one who's satisfied. Now that's counterintuitive, but it's true. That's how God wired up life. Okay? That, my friends, is why it takes faith to be a Christian because you have to believe something that doesn't seem to be true and it doesn't seem natural. It just is true. You know why? Because it's supernatural. You know, in the, in the world of comic books, there's a character called Superman. Have you heard of him? Of course you have. What happens to Superman when he puts on the cape? Yeah, he becomes superhuman, motivated by high and noble things and he does things that ordinary people don't do. Do you realize 
That love, when we get it right, is like the cape that God made for our soul that enables us to become and to do what ordinary people aren't and don't do. It's the thing that transforms our life and changes us from what we used to be to the life that God had for us all along. Now the Bible, page after page after page, talks about this. But before I go to Scripture, I just have to, I have to say this. Of all the subjects that I ever teach on, when I teach on love, I realize there's more room for self-deception in the subject of love than any other subject I teach on. Because we all agree that love is good. So you know what we think? I'm in. But friends, that doesn't mean you're motivated by love or driven by love. It just means you think love is a good thing. And so I want to ask you in the rest of our teaching this morning, I want to ask you as much as you can, Be ruthlessly honest with yourself. Not so that you would leave this place feeling guilty. Yeah, because then we could take, if I taught you about love from a guilt standpoint, I would really be teaching you about guilt. I don't want you to feel guilty, but I want you to know the truth so you can walk from this place and you can walk into the truth. Most of us have sort of a default setting that we think that love is sort of the absence of hate. And if I don't hate people, and I'm not prejudiced against them, and I'm kind of a nice guy or a nice gal, I must be motivated by love. Friends, that's just self-deception. I want you to dig deep this morning, look into your heart and say, does love, this desire to benefit other people, do I wake up in the morning saying to myself, what can I do to benefit the people at my job site? What can I do in this day that would lift the burden of someone that I work with? What can I do in this day that would genuinely benefit my children? What can I do in this day that would genuinely benefit my spouse? What can I do today that would make a difference in my, in my neighbor's life? And, and if that's what wakes you up and that's what drives you and your mind is always going on that and your heart is always going on that, then you're driven by love. But if you get up every day and you just think about what what do I need to do at work? And what do I have to do for my kids? And what should I do for my husband or my wife? Guess what? You're not motivated by love. You're motivated by obligation. And that's never going to answer your life. We'll give it to you in three questions and then we'll get on to the Bible teaching. Fear and obligation is about what I should do. Power is about what I want. And love is about how I can serve. Now, here's what the Bible says about love. Give you some passages. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid. That's that fear motivator, that guilt, that obligation. We won't be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face Him with confidence because we, what's the next three words? Live 
like, wow. That's what motivated him. We live like Jesus in this world. Such love has no fear. It's not motivated by that at all. Because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it's for fear of judgment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced His perfect love. That's why you came to church today. So you could experience the perfect love of God and then go live in that love. He goes on to say this. Love is pure. That's the deal. Has no fear. Has no obligation. Has no power struggle in it. It's just pure. Jesus recognized that. So here's what Jesus said about love one day in Matthew chapter 22. Some guy said, what's the most important commandment at all in the Bible? Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know what Jesus is saying? Love is not only pure, love is central. It's got to be the core. It's got to be what drives you. It's the motor that, that moves a Christian to live the life that God has called them to and to live the life they were always intended to live. Number three, third passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starts out like this. I may speak in the tongues of men or even angels, but if I lack love, I have become merely blaring brass or symbol, or a symbol clanging. That's how some of us play those. Right? I may have the gift of prophecy. I may fathom all mysteries and know all things and have all faith, enough to even move mountains. But if I lack love, I am, what's the next word? Nothing. By the way, this is a lesson in economics. He gets on the next one. This is a profit and loss statement. I may give away everything. Let's go back one screen. I may give away everything that I own. I may even hand over my body to be burned. But if I lack love, I gain, what's the next word? Nothing. You know what Paul is saying to us? If you want to live more, love more. That's just how it works. The people I know of in this world that are the happiest and have the greatest amount of time and they have the most energy when they get up in the morning and, and, and they feel the best about their life are the people who decide that they, they live to love. And the more you love, the more you live. The more alive you feel. Which is why this passage ends like this. It says, love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and it endures through every circumstance. I simply put in my notes, love wins. That's it. Love wins. So that's the first question. What is it that drives a prevailing Christian? It's love. It's not fear. It's not power. It's not obligation. It's love. It drives a prevailing Christian. It drives a prevailing church. But that brings up a really interesting question. Sort of, how do I get me some of that? It's one thing to know it. It's another thing. How can I get more of that? And uh, this leads me to what I call the love secret. Okay? It's not a potion that you wear. 
It's not a cape that you throw on, but there is a not very often spoken about secret behind love. And when you get it, it will make sense to you. Okay, here's what the Bible says about the love secret. There it is. All love has its origin in God. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says love comes from God. Did you get that? Where does love come from? Love comes from God. We love because He loved us first. Now I'm going to give you three principles that come out of that once you understand that principle, okay? All love has its origin in God. The first principle is this. We cannot generate love, but we can pass it on. I want you to think of our moon. Our moon cannot generate light. Only the sun in our solar system can generate light. But the moon has the ability to receive that light and pass it on. That's why you and I know that there is a moon. But I want you to think for a minute, if the moon did not have the ability to receive light and pass it on, if it just absorbed all the light that it had and never reflected it, you and I would never know there was a moon out there. And, oh, by the way, if the sun didn't generate light, you and I would not see the moon either doesn't have the ability to generate light. You and I are like that with love. You cannot, I, I understand there's all sorts of songs that, that, that sort of aim us in the wrong direction about making love. You cannot. You can receive it, but you can't generate it. All love comes from God. So if you're loved by somebody at church today, it's because they've received love from God. If you're loved by somebody in the world today, it's because somebody received love from God and somebody passed it on to somebody else and somebody passed it on to somebody else and eventually it found its way to you. But all love has its origin eventually in God. The second principle is this. The more we love, the more love we receive, the more love we can give. I know it's not possible to do it, but if we could dial up the sun and make its light more intense, guess what? The moon would be brighter. That's how it works. And if someone were to reach up and, 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 and to turn down the sun, the moon would be darker. That's just how it works. Your life and my life are exactly the same way. The, the more love that we receive, the more love we are able to give. Now, I want to pull over to the side of the road for a minute here, and I want to talk about our church. We've already talked about the fact over the last couple of weeks that God is making us into this outrageously accepting, loving, <clears throat> and generous group of people. You know what's so great about that? Because when you come to church, it's like taking a giant love pill. Right? When you come here and you get hugged on and people care about you and they look you in the eye and they ask you how you're doing and, and, and you live in this atmosphere of love and genuine care and concern, you, you, you swallow a bunch of love and then when you go out in the world, you're empowered to give that away. That's how God made the church. Heather said, why do we get together and sing these songs that we've already sung before and why do I preach about a passage that we've already heard before? Well, above and beyond learning, it's we're taking this massive infusion of love. 
so that as we walk out into this world, we've got some love to give. That's how it works. The more love you receive, the more love you can give. And then last of all, the only way to really increase our love is draw near to God. Because, friends, the secret behind this church isn't the people, it isn't the building that we live in. The secret behind the church is God. You could go to a church that's sort of a cool church, but if God's not present, you're not going to get that massive infusion of love because love comes from God and He flows it through the church into our lives. That's why as a church, we continually pray that God would make us more and more loving. Now I want to close with three ways to apply this and tell you a story out of my life. The first way to apply this is to become a Christian. See, the Bible is very clear that you and I have a struggle in this life. And the problem is, I said a while ago that we have this sort of intuitive thing about obligation and guilt and all that. We have another sort of intuitive thing in us. And that is, we're sort of born believing that if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, I'm okay. Friends, that's just patently not true. You will never, ever get peace in your life if you believe that. The truth is, even if you went from this day to the end of your life and never did another sin, never did one, When your life is done, God would still ask you one question. What about the sins you already did? No matter what you do from this day forward, what you do from this day forward takes care of that portion of your life. Does not address what you already did. Fortunately for you, and fortunately for me, Jesus said, I can do something about that. And the central teaching of Scripture is that Jesus left heaven and came to earth to give his life as a sacrifice so you could be forgiven of the sin you've already done. That's it. That's the only payment God will accept for your sin. And that's the initial act of love that God calls you to receive. I pray for every person here this morning. I pray that not one of us would leave this place until we have made the decision to become a Christian and to say, okay, God, I get it. Now I know I could, I could just work the rest of my life. But if I don't have forgiveness for what I've already done, the rest of it's useless. So I want to give you that invitation. And, and I want to pray a prayer, and I want to, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me this morning. If you're ready to make that decision, you want to give your life to Christ, you want to get on board with Jesus, then bow your head and pray with me and, and let's all pray together. Say, Just say, Lord, I acknowledge that in my life I have sinned and I have nothing to offer 
to pay for that. Understand the only payment you receive is the wonderful gift of your only son. Today I accept that gift. I trust him in what he did to bring forgiveness into my life. From this day on, I will be a follower of Jesus. And I will learn how to live as he lived and love as he loved. I accept that forgiveness and offer my prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you made that decision on the back side of your Connect card, there's a place for you to indicate, I made that decision today. And that's where the walk with Christ begins. It's an exciting time. And expect great changes in your life. Expect a little opposition too. Okay, That will come, but expect great changes in your life. I want to talk to the rest of us who are already Christians because there are two ways that we can apply this today. And the first is we could pray the five prayers of love this week. Okay, You go, what are the five prayers of love? Well, if you're ready to do that, you check that option and I will send you the five prayers of love via email. Okay, I'll send you that information. I can tell you they will change your life. Here's how it happened for me. I was praying one day and God called me to pray a simple prayer about love. And he said, this is the prayer I want you to pray all week. And I began to pray, God, would you fill my life with love, the kind of love that Jesus had, the kind of love that would that would enable me to see value in people no one else can see value in, the kind of love that would enable me to forgive people even when they don't deserve it or don't ask for it, the kind of love that would enable me to love people who are the worst of sinners, the kind of love that would enable me to love people who are the most arrogant and egotistical. And I just began to pray this prayer over and over again. God, help me to see people like you see them. Help me to love on people like you love them. Now, if you had known me prior to that prayer, you would not recognize me today. Prior to that prayer, if you came to the church where I was on the staff, I would have said, good morning, how are you? And that's all you got. I didn't let anybody in. I was not a hugger. I wasn't born a hugger. I didn't grow up in a family that, that were huggers. I was just, that's it. So I prayed this prayer all week and I didn't sense any real change in me. I didn't feel any different. I just knew God wanted me to pray this prayer. I went to church that following Sunday morning and an amazing thing happened. A cape fell over me. Okay, it wasn't a real cape. Something took place in my heart. And for the first time in my life, every single person I saw, I wanted to hug. It was crazy. I remember standing outside the church, sort of frozen in time. And there was this internal war going on in the inside of me. I remember the first voice I heard said, this is the answer to your prayers all week long. And then I heard a second voice and it says, that's weird. And then I heard this other voice, 
The one that spoke to me at first said, no, that's not weird. You prayed for this. This is the answer to your prayer. And then I heard the other voice saying to me, this can't be right. You even want to hug women. And you know, that can't be right. And there was this internal struggle going on inside of me. It was a battle for my spirit. Mel Hyatt, big, burly guy, lumberman, fisherman from the woods of Oregon, big, full, bushy beard. I sort of, out of that 10 seconds of being frozen in life, I was jerked into reality by this big, burly guy walking up to me with his arms open wide the big grin on his face saying, Hey, Ron, how are you? And he laid a big old bear hug on me. And from that day on, I've never been the same. Okay? When you pray the prayers of love, God changes what motivates you. So if you're ready, if you're ready to, to walk with Jesus... You let me know, I'll send you the prayers of love. And the last of all, do a half-day retreat with Jesus. And I've given you a passage. It's Psalm chapter 139. Now you've got to be ready to run because I, I want to tell you, if you read those verses in Psalms and you pray those prayers to Jesus, that's a prayer of complete transparency. I, it, it will change your life. It'll be awesome. But you've but you got to reserve at least four hours to pray that prayer with Jesus and give Him time to talk to you. So if you're ready to run with it, then... By all means, sign up for that and do that. Now let's pray. Father, I thank you for my friends. I thank you that you stand ready to transform our lives and change us and make us into the person that we've, you always intended us for, for us to be and that we can live outside of insecurity and we can live outside of rivalry and we can live in this wonderful place of satisfaction that comes by getting up every day and loving Father, would you, would you change us into this outrageously accepting, loving, and generous people? I pray it in your name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.